0: Welcome to Big Capital, a project management podcast for people who design and build, brought to you by Asime Consulting. We talk about tools and techniques to help you plan and manage your projects. We interview experts and we tell you about stuff that we think is interesting. I'm Holly Parkis. And I'm Roy Laban. And today we're talking about risk management.
1: Today for our inaugural episode of Big Capital, I will be talking about risk management with Holly Parkis, my co-host. Holly is a senior consultant and portfolio manager with SMA and is a seasoned risk management specialist with many years of experience. I'm looking forward to hearing from Holly about the basics of risk. What is a risk? How do we manage risk? And what is involved in analyzing, mitigating, allocating and tracking risk? Holly, thank you for being our first guest on this inaugural episode of Big Capital. I would like to start off by asking you to tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your experience with risk management.
0: Thanks, Roy. Well, so as you say, um, I've been doing uh, risk for quite some time now um, on uh, mostly large capital projects um, and ranging in size from, oh, the millions up to multi-billion dollar uh, mega projects. Um, SMA specializes in risk management and, uh, we do a lot of it, uh, and I've had, uh, the opportunity to be involved in, um, doing risk from all, you know, all levels of, uh, um, project life cycle from beginning, uh, sort of strategic level all the way through, um, to the end and even into asset management. Um, so there's a, a I guess a wealth of experience to draw from and maybe some more stories. <laughs>
1: So diving right into that, what are the basics of risk analysis and management?
0: So the basics, we, we kind of divide it into uh, four groups um, of tasks, and it's really a cycle. Um, if you're doing risk well, you're doing it pretty much continually. Um, you start out with identification, which is identifying uh, any sources of uncertainty um, that might potentially have a negative impact on your project. Um, that's the general definition of a risk, something that involves uh, an uncertain, either an uncertain event um, or uncertainty about what might happen. Um, and uh, in general, what might happen is bad <laughs> if you're talking about risk. So um, once you have those identified, uh, then you move into attempting to understand which of those are going to be a problem. Um, so how bad, uh, How? what could happen, how likely is it uh, in the analysis stage that's about focusing attention um, on the areas that are important and carrying forward with um, doing something about it, which is the next stage, mitigation. Um, that's when you're actually doing your risk management, you're checking in on people and making sure that things are happening. Um, you're following up on uh, various you know, aspects of the project Uh, tracking those risks um, that you've identified and uh, monitoring fourth stage um, what is going on. So all of this is a sort of a continual process. You're continually looking for new risks that are rising for things that are changing with your existing risks. Um, Are they uh, reducing in, in uh, severity? Are they increasing in severity? Um, And uh, you know, what are you doing about them? Are you doing the right things? Should you be doing something different? Is it working? It's a quite, quite an involved process, but it's a really integral part of project management.
1: So with that involved process, how do we tell which risks are important and how do we reduce or respond to such risks?
0: Uh, Telling which risks are important, um, traditionally, anyway, uh, involves both an assessment of likelihood. So what's the probability of this event actually happening Um, and an assessment of what the effect could be. Um, And they go hand in hand because you could have an event that could be really, really severe, uh, say a meteor (laughs) hitting your project site. Um, And while that's extremely, uh, it would be extremely high impact if it does happen, the likelihood is really low. There's other things that are much more likely to occur. um, And those uh, are, um, potentially, hopefully anyway, um, lower impact. Um, and it's the balance between those two that tells you which are the ones you want to pay the most attention to. That also ties into your risk tolerance as an organization and, um, what levels of risk you're willing to take on what you think as an organization or, you know, is important. Um, if you're a multi-billion dollar organization, you might be able to absorb, uh, more risk, it might be worth it for you to take on more risk than if you're a very small organization um, and your level of risk tolerance will be kind of calibrated accordingly. Um, and that will tell you, that will help you identify uh, which of the risks you have are very important as opposed to only somewhat important. Um, but it's uh, it, it's something that you have to do. Um, you have to spend time on Thinking about what the effects really could be, maybe doing some modeling, uh, getting into the, the details of your risks to be able to identify what is really important. When you start talking about a risk, sometimes you find that it's not actually going to be a problem.
1: So some of the ways of dealing with risk, as you mentioned, include mitigation and transfer of risk. What in your opinion makes a good risk mitigation and how do you identify those mitigations, track them and update them over time?
0: Great question. So with mitigating risk, what you're generally trying to do is either to reduce the likelihood of a risk occurring um, or to reduce the impact of the risk if it does occur. Uh, Transfer is kind of a special case there. it's uh, you're giving the risk to somebody else uh, to deal with, and you're only going to do that generally if they're going to be better at dealing with it than you are. Um, the reason for that is that transfer of risk isn't free. Usually, uh, you, you know, you can write it into your contract that this risk is somebody else's responsibility, but if they're reading that contract, uh, they're going to charge you for it. Um, which might still be a good idea if they're much better at handling a risk, then uh, they're, they're closer to it. Um, they're able to take it on. Um, that, that's, you know, that's a good call. Uh, good risk mitigations are specific. They're measurable and actionable, uh, realistic uh, and time boxed. Um, so the SMART acronym applies to mitigations as well as to lots of other things in the project world. Um, you don't want a mitigation that is vague. You don't want one that doesn't have a responsible party associated with it, that, you know, just someone out there will take care of. Um, you want something that, uh, lets you know who to go, uh, shake down for information on how things are happening. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, who, who has a real vested stake in dealing with that risk. Um, and that whole identification of mitigations, that's a big part of, uh, of the risk um identification and analysis process. You'll start with your most severe risks, of course. Um, and uh, generally we like to do practically everything in a really collaborative manner with risk. Um people are much better at uh talking through risk uh in a group um than than you know going away and coming back with a um a risk register that's understandable by other humans, uh, and the same thing with mitigations. It's a lot easier to come up with mitigations uh, when you are talking with other subject matter experts, with people who've done this before on other projects. Um, you're pulling from past uh, past project histories, and you know, getting a um, oh yeah, okay, we totally we saw that before. We dealt here's how we dealt with it. Um, that's a that's a really useful thing to know. So it's always good to have people who have past experience around when you're doing risk.
1: Would you be able to elaborate a bit on risk transfer? What's the motivation behind risk transfer, and what, in your opinion, are the best practices for risk transfer?
0: Uh, well, the motivation behind risk transfer is usually get it away from me, <laughs> from what I can tell, anyway. Um, it, it's pretty it's pretty common uh, for owners uh, in the capital world, or you know, for for people who are dealing with um, projects that involve a lot of procurement to try to load uh, as much risk as possible onto the contractor or consultant or, you know, whoever you're bringing on. Um, And it can work sometimes. Um, It can be a very effective way of, uh, you know, contractors deal in risk all the time. That's how they make money. Uh, The key with it is that you have to understand when you're doing that kind of transfer, as I said before, it's not free. Um, And it doesn't always work. So risks are transferred via a contract, a contract language, um, or through the structure of the contract itself. And if you haven't written your contract well, um, or if you're not executing your contract well, sometimes uh, risks come back through lawsuits, through disputes. Um, You can think that you've transferred a risk, but you might not have done it. So the best practices for risk transfer are generally... As I mentioned previously, give the risk to the party that is best able to take it on, that that wants that risk um, because they think that they can handle it better than you can um, and they can charge you, but maybe not spend all that money. So then that becomes profit. If it's something like schedule, schedule delays, you know, that's a perfect example of the kind of risk that should be transferred because the owner has no real control over a schedule, whereas the contractor is the one with the boots on the ground. So unfortunately, um, what frequently happens is that, you know, everything gets transferred. And that's when you get into situations where the contractor has no control over, for example, third parties. You know, you can, as an owner, try to transfer third party risk to a contractor, but it's quite likely to come back to you um, in a, a decision of a referee um, or in court. Um and it's really best for you to know that upfront um, and to make the contractor aware of it, transfer what you can, but not try to make them completely responsible for um, things that they can't control.
1: So in looking at how a risk management process is implemented on a project, uh, when do you know, or how do we know that the risk management process is actually working well and it's successful?
0: Oh, that's a very good question. Um, You know, the proof of the pudding is in the eating is generally what they say. Uh, You'll know if your risk management process is working. um, If when things happen, they were in your register. And you've had a plan in place um, or you've at least talked about having a plan in place for what those risks um, might have been. I'm not going to say that you'll always see your risk profile go down over time. I mean, that's controlled by lots of other things aside from how good your risk management process is. Um, Surprises happen. They happen on every project. Um, Some of them are more surprising than others. Uh, There's no way around it. You know, I don't know anybody who's executed a project that went exactly the way that they thought it was going to uh, by the time they were done building it. Um, But if you have done risk well, your... Uh, nothing is really a total surprise there you know there's um, there's a bucket for it somewhere and you've had at least some conversations initially you've put some contingency plans in place you have adequate contingency to finish your project um, unless something really dire happens uh, those are the kinds of tests that we would apply to see if your risk management process is working. The other thing like the flip side of this is um, to make sure that you're not uh, just killing yourself trying to do risk all the time. You know, it is a balance. Um, and I've seen risk management processes that are just really, really involved. Um, and you know, you do get to a point where, um, you know, the, the value is not necessarily there. So you do have to sort of calibrate your risk process, um, to, uh, the complexity and the size of the project, um, as well, uh, as, you know, making sure that you, you want to make sure you're doing risk. You just, also want to make sure that you have time to do other things as well, like the rest of your job.
1: So looking at applying risk management to projects, uh, what do you see as the different purposes of risk management during the different phases of the project life cycle?
0: Oh, that's a really interesting question. So um, in different phases of the project, uh risk is focused at different goals. Um, When you start a project, for example, if you're at the kind of strategic level, you generally have options about which way you're going, what is your alignment, where are you building, what are you building. Um, And you would be using risk in that case to change um, kind of big picture things. You'd be taking a look at, okay, well, if we build here, Our risks are a lot higher than if we build there. So why don't we build there instead of building here? Um, That's the kind of information that you'd be looking for and and using risk for. Once you get into the design phase, you're generally aiming at um, using risk, again, to identify kind of your hotspots so that you can do something about it. You can change the design to de-risk your project. You can get more information where you need it. Um, And all of that is leading up to two things. The first is uh, gauging what you think the market might think about your project, uh, trying to put a dollar uh, number um, on your risk. The second um, is around risk transfer. So making sure that your contract, uh, however you've written it, um, is uh, set up and you've allocated your risks um, appropriately. Then when you get actually into construction, risk becomes more about... um, kind of the day-to-day, you know, looking at what's happening and thinking ahead to what might happen, um, as well as, uh, you know, making sure that you've, uh, that you're kind of back-checking as to whether what you thought you had done with risk is working um, during construction and then forecasting what might happen in the future. So it's it's kind of part of, ties in with project controls um, in a useful way. And then at the end of the project, uh, risk is actually a great Place for lessons learned. Um, it's a terrific place to go to look for what should we do differently in the future. Um, what didn't go well this time? Uh, so yeah, it, it's a. It may look really similar. You know, you may be looking at risks and mitigations, and uh, you've got a register throughout the whole course of the project. But what you're doing with that register is quite different um, at the different phases.
1: So with that in mind, Holly, when do you think? Risk analysis should start for a project
0: Uh, as early as humanly possible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it should start honestly when a project is even just being conceived um, right at the beginning, uh, because that's where you can make that's risk is about making decisions, risk is about helping you make better decisions. And, you know, the big decisions all happen with projects. At the very very beginning because that's when you really can you have the opportunity to make dramatic changes i mean are you building a bridge or are you building a tunnel either way you're getting across the river but the risk profile might be really different for one or the other of those and uh that that level um is probably the most useful uh or the most bang for your buck in terms of risk um but you know if you haven't started it Uh, What is it they say? You know, the the first best time to start something was five years ago, but the next best time is now. So if you haven't started risk on your project, now is the best time to start. So
1: what is, in your opinion, the number one takeaway for risk management?
0: I think um, what I'd really like people to get out of this is an understanding of risk management as an ongoing project management practice that is really effective. You know, that it needs to be tied in with all of the rest of your project management uh, techniques and tools. Um, But it's, it's, uh, it's living. It's something you should be revisiting all the time. Um, the management part, the decision-making part, that's really the important part of risk management and that's everything else is in service to that. Um, the key with risk is to get in there, get your hands dirty, um, and you know, find ways to, uh, deal with the risk that you have. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, people see risk as something that, you know, you fill out a spreadsheet and then you're good. you don't have to look at it again for, you know, six months. Um, And uh, I would really encourage all project managers, no matter what kind of project, uh, to be using risk uh, as an active tool um, to manage their projects and to make better decisions.
1: Molly, that was uh, some really good information you gave us today about risk. I'd like to ask you if you have any final words for our listeners today. And also, where can our audience follow you and SMA to learn more about risk management?
0: Well, I mean, my final words are pretty similar to my previous words. They're do risk, do it early, do it often. Um, Risk is probably one of the most important tools that you have in your project management arsenal. Make use of it. Uh, You can uh, find me talking about risk and other stuff um, on Medium at holly underscore parkas and also uh, on our website at smaconsulting.ca. Um, and uh, various conferences, you know, (laughs) around, I'm around.
1: That's great. Thank you very much for your time today and for all the information you gave us. And thank you everyone for joining us on our very first episode of Big Capital. See you next time and goodbye.
0: That's it for this episode of Big Capital. If you have questions or thoughts you'd like to share, please email us at podcast at smaconsulting.ca. We'd love to hear from you and we will never share your information. Thanks to Jeff King for technical production.